0: At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse, and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives.
1: Uh, and This morning, it is my great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant Word. May he add his blessing to it. Well, I don't need to ask if you have ever asked this question before, because I'm sure that you have. Here it is. Is God going to provide what I need? Is God going to provide what I need? This is a, a reoccurring question that um, every believer everywhere uh, has has asked is god going to provide what i need this is a question that for many of us can evoke anxiety fear doubt anger even despair there are many of us in the room this morning who have lost someone a child a spouse a friend and you feel like you you don't know how to live without that person and you're asking God the question God are you going to provide what i need to make it through this there are people in this room this morning who are struggling with addiction addiction to drugs addiction to alcohol addiction to pornography you feel trapped you don't see a way out and you're asking this morning God are you going to provide can you provide how how are you going to provide? There are people in this room this morning that are experiencing broken relationships with a sibling or a parent. And, and you don't see how that other person can ever change or how you can ever change. And so you're asking God, are you going to provide? Are you going to provide a way through this? I bet there's several men in the room this morning who feel burdened and trapped under a financial situation, and you don't see how you are going to be able to provide for your family, and you're asking God this morning, God, are you going to provide? There are people in this room this morning who have experienced terrible and scary diagnosis from a doctor about you, about your children, and you're asking God, are you going to provide a way, God? How are we going to make it through this? Are you going to provide? From infertility to depression to abusive relationships to just just feeling angry or lonely. And in your heart this morning, you're asking this question, God, are you going to provide? Or maybe you're in an even more tragic situation. You're not asking that question at all because you've given up on him a long time ago. You gave up on him. You're looking to yourself to provide what you need. You're looking to other people to provide what you need. Isn't this the oldest temptation in the book? Right? So, so, Adam and Eve there in the garden, certainly they're, they're tempted not to believe the word of God, right? Isn't that what Satan was tempting Adam and Eve with? Don't, you know, oh, come on, did he really say? So, he's tempting them about the word of God. But at the heart of this great temptation, the first temptation is they were put in this garden and God said, I've provided. I've provided everything that you need. And they questioned whether or not God could truly provide because he didn't give them this tree over here. Is, isn't this the earliest temptation that us humans face to believe that God really can provide? Isn't this the story of almost the entire? Can't we sum up the entire Old Testament in this way? God provides for his people time and time again, yet they don't trust in his provision. And so they look to other gods, they look to other nations, they ask for a king. They're, they're seeking all these other things because they don't believe that God will truly provide. Isn't this exactly what we see in the New Testament? When the the disciples are questioning Jesus and Jesus is telling them time and time again, I'm going to provide for you, and here's how I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide for you by my death, by my burial, and by my resurrection. And they're saying, no way a Messiah should do that. What a lousy Messiah that dies. That can't be the provision. But Jesus insists, I will provide for you. This is the story of, of the entire Bible. And so, church family, let me say today, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And so many of us will, will seek to look inward, believing that we have it in ourselves to produce what it is that we need. Is, isn't that the song our culture sings? Isn't that what's on uh, all the influencers on TikTok and Instagram? Aren't they telling you that you have within yourself what you need to fulfill your needs? Like, if, oh, if, if you want to lose the weight, you've got it inside you to do what you, you, you want to work from home and make a million dollars. You can be the master of your own destiny. You have what you need to fulfill all of your needs. You don't need anyone else to provide. You are the man. You are the woman. Get up and go, right? And th- this is the song of our culture. And so many of us seek to look inward. to do Others seek to look outward, to look to other people, to look to other things, to, to look to our financial situation to provide what we need. But church family, I'm here to say today, we don't need to look outward. We don't need to look inward. We need to look upward. We need to look to the sufficiency of what God has For us and what God wants to provide for us. Again, as a disclaimer, I'm not saying you cannot avail yourself to people and resources to meet your needs. I'm not saying that you don't need to have a good inner drive and a good work ethic, but what I am saying is that to look to the Lord as the source and as the foundation of what it is that is going to provide for you to supply your needs. Look to him as your ultimate provision. You see, my, my hope this morning is that we would be able to say with the Apostle Paul, Philippians 4. Philippians 4, 11. Come on, church family. Y'all know this one. Uh, the Apostle Paul says this. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. The, listen to what he says next. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. <laughs> so, Do you know the situations the Apostle Paul was in? Right? It's, it's not as if the Apostle Paul was saying, I can be content if I'm getting a massage or laying by the pool, either one. Either situation, if i got my feet up in the bed or I'm, I'm you know, laying by the beach, either situation, I can be content. This is the guy who was shipwrecked. This is the guy that was beaten by rods. This is the guy that was literally stoned to death. This is the guy that was being chased so that they could kill him. And he's saying, in whatever situation I'm in, whether I'm shipwrecked or being stoned to death, I've learned to be content. And the question is, how in the world can he say that? How can he say that? Does that sound strange to anyone else this morning? The reason that he has the ability to say, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in, is because he believes God will provide. That's how he's able to say that. And that's how we can be able to say that as well. And so God provides what we need, even if it's painful, even if it's not what we thought the provision should be, even if it seems like the provision is showing up at the wrong time, the Lord will provide, and that's how we can be content in every situation. So here's the whole sermon. Here it is. The Lord will provide. That's it. That's, that's the whole thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray and we'll be done. Here we go. Well, I can't do that. I have to, I have to prove that to you from the text. That's my job. But, but that, is, that is the sermon this morning. The Lord will provide. So listen to me very carefully. It may not be what you want, but it will be what you need. It may not be when you want it, but it will be on time. It may not seem like enough, but it'll be plenty. Jesus never promises a life without suffering, but he does promise to provide. Okay, let's look at our outline this morning. Here it is. First, Jesus... Provides power and authority. Jesus provides power and authority. We're going to see that in verses 1 to 6. Secondly, Jesus provides conviction. He provides conviction in verses 7 to 9. Thirdly, Jesus provides the word. Amen? Jesus provides the word in verses 10 through 11. Fourthly and lastly, Jesus provides the bread. He provides the bread in verses 12 to 17. Well, church family, I am back. I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. Are y'all as fired up as I am? All right. Luke chapter 9, first point, Jesus provides power and authority. Verse 1, y'all with me? And he, let's stop right there. This this he, this he that that this text is talking about is the sovereign God of the universe, the second member of the Trinity. This is the God who speaks and things are. This is the God who rules over all nations everywhere. This he that is speaking is the one who calls people into his fellowship, which is exactly why it says, and he called the 12 together. He called them. Meaning the 12 men that are there are not there by accident. It's not as if he was scrambling and these are the only 12 guys he could find. He has purposefully, intentionally, in a specific time, in a specific place, in a specific location, with these specific people, he has called them into this great mission. This is not an accident. He did not choose them based on the skills that they had, but based on what he was going to provide them. Help me today, somebody. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, Jesus has specifically chosen you for a specific time, for a specific mission, based on what only he will provide you. That's exactly what's happening here. He has predestined these men for good works, according to Ephesians 2. Verse 1 says, And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority. He gave them power and authority over all demons and, and diseases. Now, uh, you might have the power, but you also need the authority. You, you have to have both, meaning um, I have the power uh, to, to drive uh, 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. You know, the, the, the old gray truck, and in, in it don't look like much, but she can do it. I have the power to drive over the speed limit, but church family, I, I don't have the authority they will pull me over. So so you need both. You need the power or the ability, and you also need the authority. And here Jesus is giving them both. He's giving them power and and authority. He's giving them power and authority in the natural realm, meaning this, this realm of healing and preaching, but he's also giving them authority in the supernatural realm because he's giving them power and authority to cast out demons. He gives them Power and authority, verse 2. And he sent them out to do what? To proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Again, this, this dual thing is happening here. There, there is a proclamation part, and then there's a healing and casting out of demons part. There's, there's this word ministry, and then there's a mercy ministry ministry that the mercy is the healing and the casting out of demons so word and mercy these two things we're going to see this continued throughout and so what what is this proclamation then we'll start with the first one what is this proclamation then of the kingdom what does that mean what what were they saying when they went out to proclaim the kingdom meaning what is the content of their message well, church family, let your, let your eyes jump down to verse 6. We'll, we'll see exactly the content of their message. And they departed and went through the villages preaching what? The gospel. Okay, hang on. Anybody confused? What? Which one are they preaching? What are they saying? Are they proclaiming the kingdom or are they preaching the gospel? Answer? Yes. Yes is the answer. They're preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now watch this. It is a word ministry, but it's also a mercy ministry. Why is it also a mercy ministry with the healing and casting out of demons? Because they're showing the people what the kingdom is going to be like. There will be no sick people. There will be no demonic activity. People will be together with God forever because of the gospel. So it's a word and mercy ministry. That, that's exactly what they're doing. They're, they're preaching the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel that the kingdom has come in the person and work of Jesus, and that the kingdom will come ultimately at his second return. This is, this is what they are, they're preaching. This is the content of their message. Now, do the disciples have a full picture of the gospel in focus yet? No. No. We'll see that as we continue on in Luke. They don't have it fully in focus, but they certainly know enough. They know that the Messiah is here to save and that you have to fully and completely trust in him to provide. That's what, that's what they know. Now, the next part is what a good leader uh, should do. Okay, so um, he, he has given them power and authority. He's about to send them out. So a good leader at this point would warn them to be as prepared as possible. You guys are going to go out. Uh, there's going to be dangerous stuff. You're going to preach. Some people are not going to like it. There might be violence. Also, we're in the desert, so think about that. So you guys probably should you know, get some extra food, get some extra water. You know, In case you lose your staff, maybe get another one, a couple tunics, just in case you lose one. You know, again, it's the desert. Don't forget your sunscreen. It's what a good leader would do, right? Look at verse 3. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey. Huh? (laughs) Take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, nor money. Don't have two tunics. And whatever house you enter into, stay there so that you're not giving the illusion that you're bouncing around from place to place just gaining what you can get. And whatever house you enter, stay there and do not depart. And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake the dust off of your feet as a testimony against them. This was a common practice as they would leave a pagan area. They would would shake the dust off of their sandals as not to take anything pagan from the pagan world into the holy land, not even the dust from their shoes. So this was a common Jewish practice. And they departed and went through the village preaching the gospel and healing everyone. Now, church family. I like to be prepared. Some of y'all know this about me. Uh, I'm I'm the type of guy that I have a backup for my backup, okay? Uh, I I keep an emergency bag in my truck. It's an emergency bag. It's got a first aid kit. Uh, it's got a fire kit. Uh, you can't, uh, I got ratchet straps. I got duct tape. Uh, I, I, I got super glue. Um, I, I got uh, tools. I got, it's an emergency kit. It is, uh, the bag in my truck is a Mary Poppins bag for country boys. That's, that's what I got in my truck because that's me. But here Jesus sends them out with a calculated deficit. He he is intentionally sending them out without this advantage of preparedness. And, and, And he's doing this on purpose. He is telling them not to take these things that they think that they need by virtue of inviting them to trust in him to provide. Can I tell you this morning, church family, from this text, Jesus is inviting you this morning to trust in him to provide. He's inviting you to trust in him to provide everything that you need. Jesus is giving them a painful reminder that they are only prepared for the mission he has for them if they are looking to him. And can I tell you this morning, you are only prepared for what God has for you if you are trusting in him to provide. Husbands in the room, can I talk to you all this morning? Jesus Is calling you to Mission Impossible. He's he's calling you to Mission Impossible, men. Here's here's why I know that. Uh, Because he is calling you husbands to love your wives like Christ loves the church. And the reason I know that's Mission Impossible is because I've met some of your wives. (laughs) He, He is calling you to lay down your life in a sacrificial way. He is calling you to to elevate her needs above yours. He is calling you to daily die to yourself for your wife. He is calling selfish men like us to be selfless for our wives. That is mission impossible. And that's exactly the point. Because he's asking you men, the husbands in this room right now, to trust in him to provide you what you need to do the mission he's called you to. Now, now can I talk to the ladies? Ladies, women, Jesus is calling you to Mission Impossible. And here's how I know that Jesus is calling you to Mission Impossible, wives, because I've met your husbands. Talk to my wife after the service. She'll tell you. She'll tell you all about me. She don't care. I don't care either. Jesus is calling you to love your husbands, to submit to his leadership, even though most of the time, he has all the time, he has no idea what he's doing. And and that seems like mission impossible, to, to love him, to support him, to follow his leadership when he seems to be bumbling along. It's mission impossible, and that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. It's so that you will trust in the Lord to provide you what you need to follow him, to support him. Same thing with us parents in the room. I mean, look look at what the culture is telling our children who they are. Look at what the culture is selling them. Look at what the world and the devil is putting on display for our children and, and holding it up and saying, look at this. Don't you want this? And, and us parents, we're, we're over here trying to raise our children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and it feels like we're fighting this losing battle. It seems impossible to teach our children that they are who the Bible says they are instead of who the culture says they are, and it feels like we, it's an impossible battle, and that's exactly the point. We must look to him to provide us what we need. Even, even the single people in the room this morning, the culture is telling you that you're not, you're not good enough for a spouse. That's why you don't have one. Or, or that you might feel like the church is saying to you, you're not useful in the church until you have a spouse. And so how are you supposed to stay pure? How are you supposed to serve the church? How are you supposed to have this vibrant life in Christ? Because you don't have a spouse. Seems like mission impossible, doesn't it? That's exactly the point, single person. Because he's calling you, he's calling you to to trust in him. If you're taking notes, recognize how incapable you are so that you can truly depend on him to provide. Amen, amen. Second point, Jesus. Jesus provides conviction. Now, verses seven through nine there, it it feels a little bit like an add-on. It's like, He's sending the disciples out on this great missionary journey. And then we have the feeding of the 5,000, and like we'll see how those two things connect. But like he's got this weird spot here where he kind of feels like he takes us off track to talk about this guy, Herod. Well, he's not taking us off track at all. It, it, it's, it's important in the flow of this particular pericope, which we're studying, but it's also really important for the entirety of, of chapter 9. As a matter of fact, chapter 9 uh, is how we used to say, off the chain. Okay. It, cha- chapter nine is, is off. I don't know what they, they, I don't know what they say today. I, I keep trying to like understand the words that the kids say these days, like chapter nine is bussin' or, uh, like, I, I don't, I don't know what that means. Uh, I, 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 keep trying to use the words, but then my nephews are like, we don't say that anymore. I'm like, you just told it to me last week. I'm like, yeah, we don't like whatever. Uh, anyway, it's off the chain that it, off the ch- thousands. Come on. Two thousands. Okay. Here we go. Chapter, it's lit. Uh, chapter 9 is lit. Look at, look at it. Now, y'all stay with me. Look at it now. Ch- chapter 9, uh, just look at the headings. Peter confesses Christ. Uh, Jesus foretells of his death. Uh, Jesus tells him to take up your cross. The transfiguration, y'all ready for the trans, I can't preach the transfiguration today. I want to. We're going to get to the transfiguration. Jesus heals a boy with an unclean spirit. I mean, it, chapter 9 is incredible. And so, to the whole section of text. The section here is not only important to the flow, but it's important to the, to the whole section of text. Let's look at it together. Now, Herod the Tetrarch, that's the guy we met in uh, Luke chapter 3. Uh, he's the guy that uh, basically stole his brother's wife. He's a like government official guy under the Roman government. John the Baptizer calls him out. He doesn't like that very much. Uh, throws John in jail. John the Baptizer eventually gets beheaded by Herod the Tetrarch, that's that's this guy. He heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old But who is this about whom I hear such things? Great question, Herod. That's a really good question, and as a matter of fact, just let your eyes jump over to verse 20. I said I wasn't going to preach the rest of chapter 9, but just let your eyes jump over to chapter 20 because Jesus asked Peter this very question. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Yeah. The question is answered later on in, in this very chapter, but here Herod is asking the question, like, who is this guy that I'm hearing all this stuff about? Look at this last part, in the last little phrase there in verse 9, and he sought to see him. Now, this is very puzzling. It seems from the text that there might be a slight hint of conviction in the heart of Herod. I mean, as a matter of fact, he has committed sexual immorality. He has committed murder. And he seems to be a little bit curious about who this Jesus is. And if he has beheaded John the Baptizer, who was clearly a prophet... And now there's this Messiah guy floating around who might be John the Baptist or come back to life. He might be a prophet. Herod's like, oh, maybe, maybe I, he's feeling conviction. He's feeling conviction. But listen to me, church family. Curiosity about Jesus or even a conviction of sin can only take you so far. If you're taking notes, total surrender to Jesus by depending on what he can provide is the only way to salvation because here is the problem Herod's conviction does not transform into repentance it doesn't move he feels guilty about this sin he knows he's wrong got conviction but conviction then needs to transform into true repentance and his conviction does not transform into repentance his conviction transforms into rejection Here's how we know that. If we continue reading in Luke chapter 13, we discover Herod's desire to actually kill Jesus. And in Luke chapter 23, Jesus goes before this Herod. This this guy here demands that Jesus do a miracle. He won't. Uh, He demands that Jesus answer his questions. Jesus doesn't. Herod mocks him and sends him away. He got the conviction, but it never moved over into repentance. Sadly, Herod rejected what Jesus said provided. It was what Herod needed. Herod needed the conviction, but he rejected it and moved on. As a, as a person who, who's been in the dark and steps into the light, and light makes your eyes hurt, and you've got a choice at that point. Am I going to stay in the light and let my eyes adjust, or am I going to retreat back into darkness? Herod retreats back into darkness. Three. Third point in our outline, Jesus provides the word. Jesus provides the word. On their return, I'm in verse 10. Y'all still with me? Verse 10, on their return, the apostles told him all they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. So they they show back up from their mission trip up to this point. Listen, Jesus has been doing all the ministry. Jesus has been teaching. Jesus has been preaching. Jesus has been healing. Jesus has been doing all the gathering. He's been doing all the work. But here we see this shift as the crowds grew, as more and more people come. It's time for Jesus to expand his ministry. So he places this power and authority on the disciples, sends them out, and, and now they're back. They're back from their mission trip, right? It's mission debrief time. Anybody ever been on a mission trip? You you come back from the mission trip or a beach trip for, with your youth group or whatever, where you were ministering to people or maybe sharing the gospel. Well, they've come back and it's time for the mission debrief. How'd it go? What would you do different next time? What did you learn? Right? That's, that's what they're doing. Look at verse 11. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. This is so astonishing. And he, what did he do? <laughs> he told him to come back later. <laughs> hey, crowds, we're doing a mission debriefing here. I'm trying to train my disciples. No, that's not what he did. Uh, he didn't tell them to come back later. Uh, he didn't rebuke them. Again, th- this is Jesus. Uh, that you're, Jesus is not afraid to ruffle people's feathers. Jesus is not uh, the type of guy that you're just gonna walk all over. It- it's not as if he's like, well, I was, I was really trying to do this thing here with the disciples, do our mission debrief here. But these guys are here and I don't wanna make them feel bad. So I guess I'll go ahead and... it ...to him and he's not part of Jesus at all. Look at the text. And when the crowd learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them And what does he do? Then he spoke to them. We're going to see it again. Are you all ready? He spoke to them, the kingdom of God, the word, and cured all those who had. the gospel of the kingdom, word and mercy, word and mercy. He gives them the gospel of the kingdom, his death, burial, resurrection, the Messiah has come. That's the message of the kingdom. And then he shows them what the kingdom is like. He restores broken bones. He heals people. He shows them what the kingdom's like. It's that word in in mercy ministry. He welcomed them because Jesus is eager to provide them with the word. Again, just like in verse two, just like in verse six, here it is again. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom and giving them that mercy ministry. So church family, make no mistake. Jesus preaches the same sermon. We saw it in the beginning. We saw it when he sent out the disciples, and here we see it again. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He is a one-song band. He's preaching the gospel of them. All of my sermons, he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Now, here's what I want you to see. Jesus does not first. I want you to see the priority. Look at the priority of it. Jesus does not first meet their political needs or desires. Help me today, somebody. Okay, They are under Roman rule. He does not first meet their political needs or their desires. He not only doesn't do that, but he also does not first meet their financial needs. Help me today, somebody. Jesus wants you to have a full bank account as long as you have enough faith in him and all that, all that garbage. No. Uh, he does not walk around passing out $100 bills to the people in the crowd. He doesn't first meet their financial needs. He doesn't first meet their political needs. He does meet their physical needs, listen, after he gave them the word. He, he gave them the word first because the word is absolutely first priority. A church family, he gives them the word. He, he's teaching them the gospel of the kingdom. He gives them the word. If you're taking notes, Jesus has provided for our ultimate need by giving us his word. And so no matter what other needs that you have, your greatest and ultimate need has already been met because he's giving you the word. He's given you the word in the message of the gospel, the message of the gospel, that you are a sinner, that, that you are separated from God, that by his death, his burial, and his resurrection, you can be reconnected with God. You can be blessed. You can be justified. You can be sanctified. You can be forever glorified with him, provided you have faith in Christ. That's the gospel. That's what he was preaching. And that was, there should have been a way bigger amen at that point. But that was the priority of, of what he was doing. He gave him the word, and then... Then and only then, he met their, their felt needs. He gives them the word because he is the word. In the beginning was the word, word and the word was God, and the word was with God. And the, and the word, what did it do? It put on human flesh and dwelt among us, John 1. So not only has he given them the word in this message form, he's given them the word in the sense that he gave them himself. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, that means that you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of Jesus. So he has given you the word, literally, in message form and by giving you himself. I got to move. I'm preaching too much. Fourthly, fourthly, Jesus provides the bread. Jesus provides the bread in, in verses 12 through 17. Now, the day began to weary away. I love that. As you as you read the Gospels, you discover that uh, Jesus, listen, Jesus ain't about no 25-minute sermon, okay? Uh, Jesus don't do no, like, three points in a poem and we're gonna get you guys out of here before lunch. And I'm like, no, 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 no. When Jesus preaches, it's like, y'all get comfortable, okay? It's like, like John MacArthur is like, man, this is a long sermon. Uh, <laughs> That's, that's a preacher's joke. If you don't, if you don't know that, that, it's a guy who preaches a long time. That's, that's, that's the joke. Okay. It's not funny when I explain it, but here it is. <laughs> now, the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and the countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. Now, their solution is reasonable. The disciples aren't mean. The, the disciples aren't, get, the, get these people out of here. They've been on our nerves, right? They need to, push. that's not what they're doing at all. The, the disciples see a problem. What's the solution? Well, we don't have the food. We don't have the ability. Send them away. It makes sense. After all, haven't we already given them the word? After all, Jesus, haven't you and many of us, haven't we healed these people? We've given them enough. We, we've done our job here. Send them away. Tell them to go into the towns and the surrounding villages. It, it is very, very sensible. Look at verse 13. But he said to them, <laughs> you give them something to eat. <laughs> and the disciples said, do what? <laughs> I'm importing my southern accent on the disciples. I apologize. <laughs> you give them something to eat, huh? What? what? Have you guys ever presented to the Lord a perfectly reasonable explanation, a, a perfectly reasonable path, a, Lord, this makes the most sense for us to do? And then the Lord re- responds and says, let's do the opposite. <laughs> that ever happened to you before? Yeah. That's, that's exactly what, what's happening right here. They say, let's send them away. And he says, no, nah, no, nah, you, you feed them. Here's what, here's what I want you to see. He's inviting them back into an opportunity to depend on him to provide. That's exactly what the Lord is doing. Jesus is calling them into ministry with him. Jesus is saying, don't observe what I've been doing, but participate in what I'm doing. But in order to accomplish what it is that feels impossible, you're going to have to depend on me to provide. They must look to him. They have to at this point. He says, you feed them. They're like, (laughs) <laughs> we, we don't have any food We don't have any money We're in a desolate place I, He's inviting them He's inviting you They said We have no more than five loaves and two fish Of course the other gospel accounts tell us where that came from You remember The, the little boy Unless we go and buy food for all these people Again, Do you hear the tone? You hear the tone? Now uh, again, this, this little boy's lunch is, is pretty much all that they have. They, they are pointing out the nature of his request, specifically that his request is impossible. By saying, unless we go buy food, is actually showing that they don't believe that it's possible to do what it is that he is asking them to do. There's no way they can afford to buy food for all these people. Again, this is not the first time you guys have heard the, the preach, the feeding of the 5,000. You know that the number is 5,000 what? Men meaning that we're probably around 20,000 men and women. What about children? 25,000, 30,000, who knows? It's a, it's a ton of people. And as a matter of fact, if you're a nerd like me and you go back and look at the geography, you see this little town called Bethsaida and the little surrounding towns. There's like, these, these are towns of a couple of hundred people. So, I mean, not only do they not have the money, but even if they did have the money, going into these little towns, they would buy up everything that they got and still not have enough. So to say it another way, here's what's happening with these disciples. They are struggling to believe that Jesus can provide for this particular need, even though he has just provided them what they need for their missionary journey. They're still struggling to believe. It just happened, literally, in in verses 1 and 2 and 3. There they were being provided for on this missionary journey going out with nothing and God says I'll provide and they come back they're fired up from the mission trip you know they're on fire from the mission trip that's what happens when you go on mission trips you come back fired up here we go and and, and then here they are moments later not believing that he can provide again can I just take a moment church family Can, can, can I just do some more pastoral confession I'm struggling to believe I'm struggling to believe that God's going to provide. I look at these disciples and there's, there's a part of me that wants to get on my high and mighty spiritual horse. But then when I'm honest and I look at my own heart, I look at what this church needs financially and I'm struggling to believe that God's going to provide. I'm looking at the counseling needs that are in this room. I'm saying to myself, "I don't have what it takes. I don't know that God's going to provide." I'm looking at the work that we need to get done as a church. I'm looking at staffing that needs to happen. I'm looking at volunteers that we and I'm. I am struggling to believe that the Lord will provide. I'll go. For, you want me to go further? I'll go. I'll go more. I'm looking at my own personal life, my own walk with the Lord my own deficiencies, and my own sinfulness. I'm looking at the, the rough edges of me that God needs to come in and sand off. Rough edges. Heck, I'm looking at the sharp pointy points that, that the Lord needs to come in and do away with. And I'm like, I am struggling to believe. I don't know if the Lord's going to provide. I am, I am struggling to believe through 17. Which is why I need... Verses 14 through 17. Am I by myself this morning? That's exactly why I need verses 14 through 17. Verses 14 through 17 are for fellow strugglers like myself who can stand and shout from the stage, like I've just been doing, that God will provide. It's the whole point of the sermon. I've already said it. But deep in my heart, I'm struggling to believe it, which is why I need these verses. Verse 14, for there were about 5,000 men and he said to the disciples, "Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each and they did so and he had them all sit down. Here it is, verse 7, 16 and 17 is unbelievable. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. This is why it's so important that we preach through books of the Bible. Yeah. It's so important that we preach through text. I've heard I've heard sermons on the feeding of the 5000, but I want you to see the connection between their missionary journey and moments later here we are feeding the 5000. The point in both the point even in explaining to us about what's happening with Herod The lesson is God will provide. That's the lesson. That's what he's wanting us to hear this morning. This very lesson is recorded in all four gospel accounts. Did you know that? Not all the miracles that Jesus does is recorded in all four accounts. But this feeding of the 5,000 is recorded in all four gospel accounts. And listen, the exact same wording and verbiage is used in all four accounts. Here it is, took, blessed, broke, gave exactly the same in all four accounts Jesus takes the bread, blesses the bread, breaks the bread, and gives the bread every single time in all four accounts of the feeding of the 5,000. And let's take it even a step further because Jesus now is pointing us forward to something else. He's pointing us forward to the night before his execution when he sits down at table the Passover supper with his disciples and you know what he does. He takes the bread, he blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, and he gives the bread you want to know what? After his resurrection, (laughs) the disciples, they're walking on this road to Emmaus. You remember this? All of a sudden, this traveler comes, and the traveler's walking with him, and they're like, man, you're not going to believe what's going on. He's like, what's going on? And they're like, are you the only guy in this whole place that hasn't heard what's going on? They can't see that it's the resurrected Christ. Their eyes are closed, they, they don't know that it's him. And so then the traveler who is Jesus, the resurrected Christ, begins to tell them, he's like, what, you guys didn't know? You didn't know that the Messiah had to suffer and die? You guys didn't get that? And so then this traveler, who's Jesus, who they can't see because their eyes are closed, begins to tell them. He walks them through this Bible study and explains to them how the whole Old Testament is about the Messiah and is about him. They still can't see him until he's about to leave. And then the disciples say, no, 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 don't go. Stay with us. Stay with us. So they sit down for a meal. And Jesus, the resurrected Christ, took the bread, blessed the bread, broke the bread, and gave gave it to them, and it's then that their eyes were opened. And they saw him for who he was, the resurrected Christ. So just like Moses fed the people, where are they at? Where are these 5,000 people? Where are these 20,000 people? They're in what kind of place? A desolate place. Where were the children of Israel wandering for 40 years? In a desolate place in in the wilderness, and Moses calls down bread from heaven, and here's Jesus showing himself to be the greater Moses who gives them this bread. This is why John, in his gospel, chapter 635, says this, And Jesus said to them, listen to the words of Christ, I am the bread of life. Jesus declares himself to be the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And so spiritually, are you in the wilderness this morning? Are you hungry this morning? Do you need spiritual nourishment this morning? Jesus provides spiritual bread for you. He provides the word for you. He provides the bread for you. Jesus will provide. Look at, look at verse 16. I mean, I, just, I can't get over it. As, as you look at it, who actually feeds the 5,000? Uh, uh, so Jesus, again, took the bread, blessed the bread, broke the bread, and gave it. But he gives it to who? The, the crowd? He... <laughs> He gave it to the disciples, and the disciples then took it out and fed the 5,000. So who fed the Jesus or the disciples? Again, the answer is yes, absolutely. If you're taking notes, Jesus wants to do a mighty work through you. We can't stop there. The, the emphasis, the, this next emphasis is so important. Jesus wants to do a mighty work through you, not because you are so special but because he loves to provide. He loves to provide. And so he's doing this mighty work through the disciples. (laughs) You guys know the disciples. You guys have read about these guys, right? They're they're, they're not that awesome. They're not that spiritual. They're not that talented. But he's using them because he loves to provide, not because they are awesome. And we're satisfied today. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up Twelve baskets of broken pieces. Two quick things about verse 17. First, notice the way that he provides. The way that he provides uh, is usually through inadequate means. A little boy's lunch. Inadequate. This is insufficient. This is certainly not enough, but Jesus makes it enough. The way that Jesus usually provides is through inadequate means Through weak people. That's how he put They 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 are and through weak people. These people uh, who have no faith. They 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 are not eloquent. They weak people. These fishermen who, upon the death of Jesus, they abandon him. This is the way that he usually provides. So not only notice the way that he provides, but notice the sufficiency of his provision. And they all ate and were satisfied. Uh, It wasn't as if they were, okay, we got to get these people out of here into the surrounding town, so let's give them a a light snack, you know? Uh, Let's put out a little charcuterie board, you know, here we go, just just to get you through until the real meal comes. No, certainly not. They were all satisfied. And then beyond that, there's 12 baskets full left over for those 12 baskets. Unbelieving disciples, let's take it a step further, representing what? The 12 tribes of Israel, the picture of all of God's people, meaning that he is sufficient to provide for all of God's people. Yes. That's, that's what this is pointing us to. Okay, a couple of thoughts and then I'm gone. Application one is this. Trust God to provide you with what you need. Trust God to provide you with what you need. Uh, Listen, I've already admitted, (laughs) I'm struggling to do this, which is why I need this word and I need you people. I need this word. I need this word preached over me I need to read it. I need to rest in it so that when I start saying in my heart, God, I don't believe you're going to provide. I can go back to the word and hear the truth. I can speak to my feelings, which often take me off chart, off course, and I can get back here to get realigned to what's true. So if I'm going to trust that God's going to provide, I need this word, but I need you people. I need you, church family. Like, I'm up here preaching, and you might think, oh, the preacher up there, like, you know, he's spiritual, he's got it together. No, not the case at all. I need brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage me because I'm often discouraged. I need brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside me because I'm often depressed. I need brothers and sisters to come alongside me and speak the word into me because I'm often exhausted. I need you to speak into me because I struggle to believe what I preach. Secondly, trust God to provide you with what you need to serve others, to serve others. That, that's what we're calling you to. I, I already called out the husbands. I called out the wives. I called out single people. I'm calling out every member of this church, every ministry head, every body that serves as a community group leader. I'm calling on you to, as you're looking at the insurmountable task in front of you. I got to love my wife. I got to raise my kids. I got to work my job. And then, you know, my ministry leader is calling me, bugging me about checking into planning center and confirming all these things. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get all this stuff done. Trust the Lord to provide. Yes. Trust the Lord to provide you what you need and you serve other people, as you're sitting at coffee with that brother or sister, and they reveal something to you, and you are totally shocked at the sin in their life, and you have no idea what to say, and you're scared out of your mind, the Lord will provide. When your spouse comes to you with that need, and you have no idea how to serve them, the Lord will provide. As your kids come to you and ask you deep theological questions, which you have no idea what the answer is, listen, I do this for a living, happens to me all the time, the Lord will provide. The Lord, the Lord will provide. God provides when we are in need. God provides when we don't know what we need. Yes. When the need is great or small, God provides. God provides completely through insufficient means and weak and broken people. The Lord will provide. It may not be what you want, but it will be what you need. The Lord provides. It may not be when you want it, but the Lord will provide it right on time. It may seem like it's not enough, but it will be plenty. The Lord provides. Jesus never promises a life without suffering, but he does promise to provide. Listen to me, church family. The Lord will provide. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we are in awe of your word, and what it speaks to us. Lord, we we feel as if you are calling us into water that is way over our head, and that is exactly what you're doing. And so, Lord, I pray for the faith this morning to trust that you will provide. Send your Holy Spirit now, Lord, over this congregation to wash over us, to wash away the feelings of doubt and uncertainty and fear and anxiety. And let us say with the Apostle Paul, I have learned in whatever circumstance to be content. Let us be a content people because we serve a Lord. In Jesus'
0: name, Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.